0: Again, inviting us to your table and offering us uh, the bread of life and allowing us to have a moment of confession, of repentance, also a moment of forgiveness and redemption. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, during our campaign or our series that we're in right now on For Such a Time as This, we have... Wanted to do several things. And one of the things that was important, you remember, we said, was we, we want to be praying for each other. And to do that well, we have to know each other. And so during this uh, five week period, we're, we, we're doing something we hadn't done in a long time. We're reconnecting. And that's why you have these things on today. Just three, If you hate them, three more weeks, okay? you don't have to wear them anymore. But this is so that we can help get to know each other better. And here's the deal during our greeting time once again, I'm going to give you three minutes. And here are the rules. Remember the rules now, all right? It's the people behind you, in front of you, or beside you. And the most important rule is that nobody can leave this place today saying, no one talked to me, all right? You all need to say something to the people around you. You have three minutes, go. Go. Welcome back to your seats. <laughs> I think you're enjoying that time. I hear uh, it's getting louder. I want to see how some, next week we will like, here's the deal. You've got to remember one of those names of the people you talk to and pray for them this week, okay? Just commit it to memory. Someone you talked to, you hopefully saw their name, had a chance to know who they are, and, and commit that to memory and, and, uh, and just lift them up. And following up with last week's first sermon in our series on the importance of prayer, today I want to enter into the second part of that series for such a time as this and I want to I just want to share with the church the importance of something that is is so so sadly neglected by so many and that is spending time in God's word and study I don't know how often you read the Bible or what your circumstances for how you read it some of you have a app that comes up in the morning and, and gives you the verse of the day and and I would say hopefully that's like the minimum of what you do with your Bible Say, Hopefully you do at least that much every day. There is an interesting uh, study about how often people read their Bibles who consider themselves born-again Christians. And, and the average still is less than five minutes a week. And they suspect that many of the, this is hard to imagine born and Christians doing, they suspect a lot of people lie and, and say they read it more often than they do on the study because they, they know they should read it. Not that Christians would really lie, surely not. But the idea being, we don't read God's word as often as we should. I'm not going to beat you up, and I'm not going to ask you how often you read it, but I want you to think about it for a moment. And uh, I want you to just, in your own heart, answer the question, how often am I reading it? Every day? Once a week? Once a month? Has it been a long time since you really read God's Word? That's an important question for us to wrestle with. And I I want us to think about this idea of God's Word today from some perspectives of why did God give it anyway? Why do we have His Word written down? And why does it matter to us? And, And why is it important? You know, here's the human dilemma. The human dilemma from the very beginning of Genesis throughout the last words of Revelation, the human dilemma is that as people, the tendency of mankind or humankind is to suspect that we know better how to run our life than God does. Think about that for a minute. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Why do they do what they do? Well, they're tempted, but at the core of the temptation is this idea. Well, God says we shouldn't do that, but what does God know? <laughs> We're in charge of our own life. Man, how many times have people done that? If we go back to the, to the days before the flood, what happens in the world is, is a simple thing. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. People are doing the thing that they think is right for them. Today you might hear someone say, well, that's my truth. Uh, That's what's right for me. And I'm going to do me and, and you do you. The tendency of humanity is for us to think or to suppose that we might know better than God how to run our life. So God, in an effort to help us understand the disaster that it is, to live our life apart from His will, made sure that history was recorded across the Bible. And the story of the Bible is, is, it's many things, but in part, it is God communicating His truth, the only true, lasting, valuable truth we can hold on to, to the world and showing a story after story of the benefits of trusting God and the devastating consequences of ignoring God. The whole of the Bible is going to fall into those categories as you read the stories of the people who were just like me and you. They had to make a decision. Is God's way better than my way, or is my way better than God's way? And in every single temptation you face, that will be the challenge before you. Whether it's the words that you speak to your neighbor or your children or your spouse, and your choice of whether those are positive or negative or what you do with those, whether it's a temptation about how you're going to relate to someone else in a, in a relationship, are you going to honor God and what God says, are you going to do what feels right? It's the key issue before us. Now, God wants you to understand something about going your own way. He talks about life in terms of paths. There's a narrow path that leads to life. And there's a wide path that many people are, but it leads to destruction. And at the end, it's disastrous. The good news is, He has given us all kinds of signs and arrows and directions to make sure we can find and be on the narrow path that leads to life. And those instructions are written across the Bible. If you have your your Bibles or you want to follow on your phone or on the screen, let me just take you through some concepts today. Uh, The first being that God's words are words of life. You will recall That story in John chapter 6, we've talked about a lot in the the last couple of months, the story of after the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus makes some controversial comments about uh, his flesh being real food and his blood being real drink, and it really confounds some people. They struggle with what he's talking about, and they fall away. I want to pick back up to something that happens just after that in verse 67. After thousands of people have walked away from Jesus, Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, You do not want to leave me too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Words of life, that's an important concept. God, from the beginning, is the author and the giver of life, and he is the one who has the the words that are life-giving words. Later, John would write, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he would write at the the end of his gospel, of the letter that he's written about everything that Jesus has done, he would write these words. He says in verse 30, "'Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples.'" Many things which are not even recorded in this book. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Words of life. The Bible is filled with words of life. And if we follow them, we will enjoy the life that God desires us to have, that he created us to have. But if we ignore them, and even if it's not that we ignore them all the time, but whenever we ignore them, we will find that our life is diminished. It's just not going to be as good if I'm not coming to him for this life-giving truth that he offers. That thing Jesus said about his flesh being real food, it speaks to something about what Scripture is for us. In our world, there are some things that are really important to us to survive. Air. Don't live very long without air, right? Water. Can only go a few days without water and we'll die. And of course, food. And most of us, we would really quickly, if we didn't have air, we'd make people know we need air very quickly, right? We'd say, get off me, do whatever. We we would want to have air. Some of you have just gone through this COVID pneumonia and you felt yourself fighting to get air, and that's a terrible feeling to have pneumonia and not be able to get air into your body. Water. I don't know if you've been thirsty uh, lately or the last time you felt thirsty. I don't know what, if you've experienced a real kind of thirst, but, but my guess is if we denied you water a couple of days, it wouldn't be hard for you to say to us, I need water. I know I need it. It's missing. I can't go much further. And let's be real honest about the next one. Although a lot of us diet, and we try to diet from time to time, we all recognize, love, and and cherish the value of food. And I don't know about you, but if I go a day for whatever reason, I miss breakfast or lunch, by the time I get home for supper, if there's nothing there to eat, I'm already grumpy and I'm grouchy and I have that hanger thing like they have on the Snickers bar commercial, right? You need a Snickers. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Well, that's what happens to us in a very real way If we're not feasting on God's word. And we will be spiritually hungry. And we will will find that our life really is diminished. And if only we would have the same love of God's word that we have for food and for water and for air. Because I want you to understand something. His word is just as important as other things. Well, It's not just about life, it's about light. I shared with you last week a truth about this world is sick with sin and and today I want you to understand something, that our world has fallen into darkness in the past. Our world is in danger of falling into darkness again in this very age that we live. But there is a light that pierces through that darkness. And God's word is a real light. It is a real light that makes a difference in the world, and it's a real light that makes a difference in our lives. I love the words of the psalmist. In Psalm 119, verses 97 through 106, it says this. Oh, how I love your law. I meditated on it all day long. Your commands are always with me. You make me wiser than my enemies. You give me insight more than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from the evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your law, for you yourself have taught me. Oh, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than the honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts; therefore I hate every wrong path, and your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Indeed, I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. Many, many, many years ago, we went to Johnson City, Tennessee, to see some friends of ours. And uh, I experienced something that I know a lot of you have experienced. I had not experienced it before. In the mountains, frequently, there's a kind of fog that settles in that's like soup. And once it settles in, it comes on quickly. But once you're in it, you can only see a few feet in front of you under the best of circumstances. Now, we're driving down the highway doing regular speeds, and I see this wall of white kind of quickly come on me, and then it's over. We're in it. And the car screeches to a halt. I can barely see anything, and and this is before we had phones that could tell you where you're getting close to, it was was really nuts, especially because I was told, look for this giant bell, that's where you're going to turn into this apartment complex when you get there, And, and look for this place, and it'll tell you where to turn, and there was no seeing the landmarks, there was no way to know where we were going. We had a couple of choices, stop and just wait it out, or go forward at a snail's crawl, And hope we could figure it out. Obviously, we eventually got there. How's a, a, a miracle, in my opinion? For it just happens that that wall of fog happened within a mile or two of our destination. But you know what it is to not be able to see, to have something obscuring our view. And I believe that one of the problems we have in society today is that a lot of people are like trapped in a fog. So they can't even see their way forward. They don't know how to get through uh, to the things they're supposed to do. They can't see the landmarks. They can't see what's happening. And, and the, the, I want you to get this. The less time we spend in God's word understanding what it's telling us, the darker that our world will get, the harder to make decisions it will be. Because without the light of his word, we lack clarity and we lack vision. And those things are essential. If you feel confusion, if you feel like, I'm not sure what to do next, a big reason for that is that we're not diving in and feasting on God's word. His word is real light. And it is important for us in this age, above all others, that we are constantly using the light to find our way through the darkness. There's a third truth that I want you to get about God's word, and that is a word of instruction. I learned my lesson the hard way. I hope you didn't make this mistake. It's the mistake of trying to build an Ikea product without reading the instructions. Have you done that, right? Ikea is like the cabinet or the the shelf or whatever it is. It comes totally unassembled in a box. It has weird fasteners and weird all kinds of stuff that they've put together. And if you follow the instructions, it will mostly look like what it's supposed to look like, but I chose not to do that once. My first IKEA project, I cursed these instructions. What in the world? Who knew? They don't know. What are they talking about? I'm sure I could do it better. To which, as you already can guess, it ended in complete and utter disaster. It didn't even look like the thing, and I had tons of parts left over. My wife's like, You think those parts might have been important? Nah. And then the thing crashes down. You know how it goes. (laughs) Well, God's word is a kind of instruction manual. And like I said earlier, the human condition is to try to say, I can do it without looking at the instructions. But let me tell you, life is so hard. And life is so complex. You cannot build your life without the instruction manual. And if you do, it will collapse like that Ikea cabinet. It will collapse. This is why Paul says to Timothy, listen, Timothy, as he was teaching him about what was most important in his letters to Timothy, he's teaching him how to be a, a godly man, how to be a leader in the church, and, and he says to Timothy in chapter, two, uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, his second letter, he says this, Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching. It is useful for rebuking. It is useful for correcting. It is useful for training in righteousness. It's useful so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is a word of instruction. It helps us to know what's wrong and to know what's right. Now, I want you to understand something about about God's instruction manual. Remember that very first thing we started with, we tend to think we know better than God. When God has laid things out for us, one of the reasons people say they don't read the Bible is they say, I don't like what it says. (laughs) I don't like what it says about this or about that. Or it's written a long time ago, it's out of touch with our time. And so we have people that uh, dismiss it out of hand as being uh, not relevant not important. Paul says to Timothy, listen, Scripture is God's life-giving breath to you. Without it, you'll die. It is God-breathed. It is a useful instruction. Joshua understood the same truth in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, he, or excuse me, uh, Moses understood this and, and God understood it. And this is God speaking to Joshua to make sure that Joshua knows this truth. This is God's voice speaking to Joshua, his new leader. And just like Paul spoke to Timothy, God here instructs Joshua. Listen to what he says to Joshua Joshua, God says, verse 7, be strong, be very courageous, and be careful to obey God. All the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous. Then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Have you ever heard this song? They say, it's a poem kind of, uh, sit right down and I'll tell a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. Remember that story? Some passengers on a tiny ship, I don't remember all the words now, that, the song, Gilligan's Island, right? You, most of you, if I started humming it, you'd know the words. It's familiar to you. And as arbitrary and weird as that is, you'd, you'd laugh. Say, yeah, I, I remember that. Why? Because you heard it over and over and over again. And even though that hasn't been on TV for 20 years, those of you are old enough to remember it, you still remember it. You know where it's from. God saying to Joshua, you think about it over and over and over. So it's there, so you remember it, so that something you don't forget, no matter how old you get, no matter what you go through, it's there. It's important. And if you do, if you commit this to memory, unlike the Gilligan's Island song, which isn't going to profit you anything, <laughs> if you commit God's words to memory, he says it will prosper you. It will benefit you. It will help you. You see, God's words are not just words on a page. They are words of power. Let me give you just a couple last thoughts here. From Psalms chapter 42, verses 6 through 12, we read these words. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and make it bud and flourish, so that yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and the trees of the fields will clap their hands. God's word is powerful. It's powerful. Faced with temptation from the devil himself, Jesus used God's word to turn back the devil, and God's word still has the power to turn back the devil. And his word has the power to turn back the wayward sinner towards home. Do not neglect God's source of power. And lastly, this simple word. The Bible clearly, is, it is a, a word of light, a word of life, a word of instruction, a word of power, but most of all, it is a word of love. Now, I made this mistake one time of bringing a collection of love poems that I wrote to dream of when we were in college, and I'm not going to read those to you because <clears throat> I was really berated about that for a long time. But when you're in love with somebody, you want to tell them. And I bet I'm not the only person who wrote some mushy love letter to somebody. In fact, some of you probably have some somewhere tucked away. I mean, hopefully they're not from someone else besides your spouse, but who knows. Uh, but, but we've had this experience where we want people to know we love them and we care about them as so we write it down. That's what God did. The Bible finally is a love letter. It wasn't written because he doesn't care about it, about us. It was written because he does. That's why he asked these people to do something that was so out of their character. Do you think it was in John's nature, a fisherman, to write? Not at all. I mean, maybe he wrote down the catch of the day and how many pounds he had in his ledger book. But God says, no, John, I know this is way out of your nature, but I need you to write these things down because, well, because I love you, John, and because I, I need other people to know how to love them. It's a love letter. From the beginning to the end, It's the Bible is God's love letter to you. This is why John would write those words in John 3.16. He wants you to know those words. For God so loves the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's a love letter. It's a love letter that's written with so much love and concern because God does not want to see his creation destroyed. He does not want to see your life, your marriage, your relationships fall into darkness. He wants you to prosper. He wants good things. You're his child, and he wants the best for his child. He knows how to give you great gifts. And so he has showered us with those gifts of grace and mercy and forgiveness, and he reports and records all of those in his word, in his love letter to you. The thing about love letters is, for their true power to be achieved, they have to be read. They have to be read. I could declare all of my love to a person in the letter. I could pour out my heart, but it only has power and meaning if the person I wrote it to reads it and believes it. The same is true of God's love letter to us. It's true power can only be felt when you read it. What do you think about love letters? Oh, we might feel foolish about them when we read them 20 or 30 years later. But there's still power in them. It reminds us how much we love and how much we are loved. The same thing happens when we open God's word. God wants to remind you that you're loved. Oh, does he want to keep you off of certain things and off the wrong path? Absolutely. But he doesn't tell you those things to keep you from having fun. (laughs) He tells you those things because they're, they're important. So how about you? I started by asking you how much time you've been spending in God's word. Today, I want to ask you a new question, and I want you to think hard about it. How much time are you going to spend in his work this week? How much time are you going to spend reading it, believing it, and knowing it? Peter said it, to, said it to Jesus in response, yours are the words of life. To who else would we turn? To who else would we go? It may be that you're here today, and you've never yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your personal Savior. You've never made life's most important decision. We give the opportunity every single Sunday for people to make this choice. It's an important choice. The Bible points us to this choice. If you have not made it, I encourage you to make it today as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.